Welcome to the Smart Firefighting Podcast. Kevin Sofen here, where we cover all things related to the future of smart technology for first responders around the world. Please enjoy the show and let me know what you want to learn about next. In this episode, you will hear from Captain at Western Wake Fire and Rescue and Fire Academy instructor at Chapel Hill Carbola City Schools, Travis Atkinson. At the age of 18, Travis found himself applying to volunteer as a firefighter alongside a friend. And almost 20 years later, Travis finds himself teaching students the intricacies of fire prevention and fire safety. Travis and I will cover aspects of education trends in the classroom, how to use immersive learning as a tool for public safety, and how we can adapt to the ever-changing first responder landscape. Travis is a humble and knowledgeable person, and I know you're all going to enjoy this one. Travis, how do you see new technology helping train the future of the fire service or any examples you got about how technology is actually being used to train the fire service today? Yeah, you know, you have to use technology to keep up with the latest and greatest everything. The fire service itself and the challenges that we have are changing. So some of the training and the props that we use, the understandings, the simulations, all of those things have to adapt with the changing environment of the fire service. If you're still training the same way that you were, you know, 20 years ago, then you're way behind and you're not giving a good service to the community that you're trying to protect. So keeping up with, you know, the latest and greatest, keeping up with going and going to conferences and trade shows and things like that, just to see what's out there. If you're not doing it, then you're doing a disservice to yourself and, and others. You probably have a good point about adapting to the changing environment of the fire service. I mean, the stuff that humans are buying is changing, The whether it's from even the homes we buy, the lightweight construction materials to then now we're buying electrical car fires and, and this stuff is or not electric, we're not buying the fires, we're buying electrical cars and they're getting on fire. These things just consumer trends change and then it's sort of like, hey, first responders, you're left holding the bag, figure this out. And this stuff changes. So like how are we and how do you think is sort of aspects of new technology, whether it be VR training or just new technology address these are stuff that you see to help address these quickly evolving consumer trends that end up impacting how first responders respond? Yeah, it becomes real complicated, right? Because each, you mentioned the vehicles, right? GM, Ford, Tesla, they're all coming out with proprietary systems for their electric vehicles. Well, the only way to get training on that is through the specific manufacturer, right? So GM has to come out and, and they have their codes and they have their standards and pr procedures for how to deal with their vehicles. And Ford has theirs. Like there's no over standard of how they're supposed to do things, right? There's no market standard on the only thing that's in EVs, to my understanding, is the orange wire, right? And everybody knows don't cut the orange wire. But besides that, how do you put out a fire? There was just one in California a couple of days ago where they had to use 6,000 gallons of water when a Tesla just combusted, right? So it's like, how is there a better way to get in there and do that? Is there a better way? You know, that's just extremely complicated. But yeah, you're absolutely right. The manufacturers don't think about firefighters or other first responders when something goes wrong. So we're left holding the bag, kind of what you're saying and, and trying to figure out ways that we can train using more science. I think that's a big thing now, right? Trying to understand things better, what's in the air, how the heat changes, those kind of things and, and 
try to how to put it out or how to mitigate whatever situation we are. I do think that there's a, a push to make things safer. And that's really complicated, right? Because overall, firefighting is a an unpredictable in many cases where you have to, there's some risk to it, right? Like it's, it's an educated risk, but there's some people get hurt. You know, some people get burned. Some people die. A hundred firefighters a year die in the country. So that's a number that needs to change. And we do this, we try to train in other ways. So we're trying to make things as realistic as possible while eliminating the risk factor. And you mentioned VR. And I, I mean, I love VR, virtual reality. And that's a way to be able to do it, right? To be able to give people some ideas of what they could be thinking about when dealing with whatever situation there is. And having virtual reality systems that can change with an instructor, right, throwing different things at them so that it doesn't become repetitive is also, I think, very important. Yeah, and you talk about making as realistic as possible without the risk, while also not, I mean, there's a lot of tradition in the fire service, and so we want to maintain the level of tradition, but we also want to be able to modernize training and not put ourselves at risk with additional exposure or some acute incident. How have you used tools like VR within your high school program or, you know, even your experience as a firefighter? How has that kind of technology been something that is now helping you get the late Bobby Halton had told me, he said the getting sets and reps. He's like, this, this is a great tool because you can't train, you can't just go and explode an electrical car and just say, hey, let's do some practice on it. Like it's, there's a lot of safety requirements and challenges to do that, but we can replicate some of the stuff in these features within a fire science model built on a serious game engine to replicate pretty darn closely what would happen if you had an electrical car fire and put water or put foam or attacked it in a different way. So expand upon that a little bit more and how you've kind of seen some of those early use cases. Yeah, the experiences, the generation right now that's retiring has a vast amount of education based on trial by fire, right? They've went, they did it, right? So these are the the war years of the fire service, right? Like everything was burning. And these people were going in and they were putting this stuff out and they were learning based on the experiences. Now, just in everything else, right? My generation of people, like when I went to, to when I was in high school, my mom made me go to college, right? So there's that push to get education. And I think that sometimes that education and the experience don't necessarily, you know, it doesn't exclude one. You have to have them both. Well, the houses aren't catching on fire as often as they were, right? Because now we have all these different safety measures with smoke detectors, sprinkler systems. So you just don't. So in my career, I might go to 15 or 20 or 30 fires in my whole career, right? But some people are going to fires every day. You get into Detroit or you get into, you know, some other places that, that there's just a fire all the time. But for the majority of us, we don't go to fires like we used to. So being able to get those reps in, being able to put yourself in a position to do a mental rehearsal. Like I really believe that if you train your mind into being able to get yourself in a situation or circumstance, you think about how you're going to do it. That helps you out. And a virtual reality system helps you do that because you can move, right? So you're looking at things as you're thinking about them, right? So you have a house that's on fire, for example, in a flame system, they have several different scenarios. And that's the system that I have. And that's the system that, that we use. And I love the system. And, and I'd like more of the updates that are coming out and watching as they progress 
the scenarios are getting better. They're becoming more interactive and they're better representation of what we can try to do and we'll, to make us think about things that are relevant. So we can do a 360 around a house and we can watch changing conditions. We can get on scene and we can do our size ups. We can, from an officer perspective, we can start giving assignments to the next crew in. We got our own water. Or we need somebody else to bring us water. We need ventilation in this place. We need rescue and set up RIT. And for the EMS unit, you're going to stage here. You know, so we can start doing those things from the beginning of the scenario. And then going through it, you're crawling through hallways. And it's however your view is, right? If you're walking, you're five or six feet, whatever your height is, going down this hallway. If you're in smoke and you decide to crawl, if you lower your level using the system, then you're crawling and your perspective is very low. And that becomes important to train people to look behind doors, to open up the closet doors, to lower your level and to be able to look and search under beds. Kids, dogs, right? Like they get scared and they hide. So they go under these places that they think are comfortable for them. So making these systems as realistic as possible helps with the reps. Now, I will say that there's nothing that we're not dragging hose down a hallway with this system. So there are some things that you can't do with it, but to get the mentality that this thing can be useful, that's most of the game, right? Like understanding that this thing can be useful and understanding its limitations and how it can be successful. Once you get out of the mindset of, oh, it's fake, oh, it's just a game or whatever else, then it becomes something that you can actually learn from. Well said. It really is about being able to have the opportunity to run through a mental rehearsal and through that of running through the checklist. So you as the instructor being able to ask those questions about based on smoke coming from the window right there, how would you approach it? What's the best scene size of the technique to approach here? What additional resources are we going to need to to combat the situation? Just running through the, you know, checking under the bed, and especially, obviously, as you know, when you're in the firefighting situation, you get in that fight or flight mode, and it's easy to maybe forget a checklist or two, but that can be the, the meaning or difference between life or death for you or someone else. So it's important to get these this mental rehearsal sets and reps, and I appreciate how you lay that all out. And now I'd like to kind of know from a student perspective or a trainee perspective, what's been some of the response that you've seen as far as someone that's kind of maybe never been into a live fire before or someone that is is going through firefighter one training or just early on in their fire career or someone that's kind of retraining for that matter. What's been some of the response that you've seen besides, you know, your own lived experiences? The students, they say that they get tunnel vision, right? Because they get so focused on completing one task in that, that it becomes difficult for them to think about or do anything else. And in I'll use the fire scenarios that you have. It is, I'm focused on putting the fire out because that's what our job is, right? Like when you introduce people to the fire service, you think that this is all we do. We just put fires out. So it's trying to get them, and I don't know any way to get around it, right? Like there's no way to, to, to train somebody that when they first go to their very first fire, that they're not going to get tunnel vision, right? Like that's the understanding from a company officer to know, this is their first fire and I'm going to need to be real close to them because this is what they're going to do. But trying to put somebody in that scenario using a VR system that may be able to 
alleviate some of that so that they're trained, so their muscle memory, so their mental rehearsal, so those things kick in and they may pick up on other factors. If a student during some of these trainings, they feel bad that this kid that was under the bed died because they couldn't get him out, you know, like in that scenario, they're like, oh my goodness, like I need to do different things. So there's a little bit of a realization with a debrief when we get done with the scenario that how do we do this? What did you miss? What did you do well? Right. Because there's going to be things that they do real well on with this system. You can, you know, change the pattern. Right. So you go from a straight to a fog You can go all the way. You know, you're advancing. You're what are you looking at? What are you thinking about? What are your levels? Right. Are you communicating with people? Like so there's a lot of things that they can do well. So it's just trying to get them past the initial shock of it all. Yeah. It is continuing to get those sets and reps and, and provide exposure to where when you get on scene, you're you're able to slow down a little bit and be able to more think clearly and make, make better decisions. And it's funny, I sometimes think about how it with the rise of AI, like you see so much of how can we make software more human? And then in certain ways, like how can we make humans more, I would say robotic, but how do we make humans more kind of factual thinking in a sense? And that's what we're trying to do in some aspect of training, not saying become a robot, but being able to slow it down and just, all right, what are the facts? What are these different, what, what am I seeing? How can I kind of run through the checklist as opposed to just being like one task, one at hand, go do it. Because there are so many unknown variables. There are these things that, that are the unknown and so, yeah, I mean, just kind of interested in, in your additional thoughts on that of like how like VR, VR is one piece of it, in, of course, from a training perspective, but for better equipping and better, whether it's through the, the equipment that the first responders are using or the training, and this is kind of broad, but like how, what are you seeing, whatever thoughts you have on how we can continue to best prepare the future of the fire service to address these evolving demands and challenges that are happening, you know, here it's February 2023. I think that this becomes even more problematic as a system, right? Being in a high school setting where I'm dealing with kids that are now 15, 16, 17, 18 years old that have career aspirations to go into the fire service. And knowing, right, being a, a firefighter myself and seeing the younger people coming in, I'm in charge of the membership and bringing in new people, recruitment, retention, that kind of thing in my department. So seeing the new people that we bring in that are 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, something like that, it's very difficult for social interaction. It's very difficult for these people to just put their phone down, right, and talk to people. So having training becomes difficult because the training is just learning to talk to people, right? So that's a bigger problem. I don't know how to fix that one, but being able to be more inclusive, more dining room table talks, less, you know, going to your own spaces and doing those things and being willing to, to train together. But some of that is developing an environment that people can be a part of and feel like they're being successful in and want to continue to do it. Mm-hmm. And there's a yeah. difference there between the people that are now in this, that are that retiring, you know, 25 years in and the generational differences between those people and the younger people trying to set people up because this younger generation, they don't like to be talked to the same way that people could, 
you know, 20 years ago, or they don't like to be treated the same way that people did 20 years ago. We mentioned traditions earlier. So it's how do we instill these traditions in people and understand their history and where they came from and how the fire service has evolved to the place that it is now. And that's super important because our strategies and tactics that we use now are much different than we did then. So we have to understand why things have evolved the way that they do to understand how the firefighter has evolved the way that it is to understand how the fires are evolving the way that they are. And then trying to figure out, well, how do we train for all of this? Right. In North Carolina, where I'm from, we can get acquired structures from time to time, but we have to take everything out of them. Like there's no glass in these windows. There's no carpets. There's no couches. There's no. So you take all of these things out to make it a safe environment. And then it's like, well, the only difference is the layout of the building, you know? So yeah. that's why I say it's so important to continue to go to conferences, to go to trade shows, to go and just Google things and research and talk to manufacturers and distributors of whatever, because there's things that are coming out all the time to help people keep up with in different ways to try to address different populations, training in the fire service. Well said. I mean, there's so many different macro envi- macro trends that are just stuff that's out of our control that are continuing to trickle down and left to first responders holding the bag. And there's the, the challenge of recruitment and retention. There's the there's challenge of how do we actually train for these different evolving situations. So appreciate you outlining all that. And, and that kind of dovetails a little bit into not just the, the training and the recruitment, but even from part your perspective, being in the fire service yourself and an instructor, what are some other technologies that you've seen that, that have caught your eye or caught your attention? And I also, we had talked a little bit before the call about kind of like the, the best technology is the one that works. And that could be an advanced software that has a hardware component, or it could be something very simple like a paperclip. But from your perspective and, and maybe some other best practices or some use cases that you see in addition to what we've talked about already? What are some other technologies that you think have some low-hanging fruit opportunity for more adoption to support the fire service of 2023 and beyond? A lot of it, I think, is, well, you can't get away from hands-on stuff, right? As you mentioned, as we talked beforehand, you know, I had an instructor when I was in college that a technology class that said that a pencil is technology, right? Because we didn't have it before. What did you do before that when you had to write something down? Well, you didn't, right? It was just oral translation, right? Passing things on just verbally. So you get into what makes the fire department change? What makes technology in 2023 useful for the fire service? Thinking about budgetary restrictions, things that are multi-use, right? Like if you can get some kind of a training prop that serves as a roof prop, and then you can adjust it by using a little bit extra. So now it's a a wall breach prop, right? So you can use different props and then you put a sprinkler in it or, you know, you put a window in it. So now you can, now you're using that window as your framework to cut through something and you can put something below it. So now you're climbing up there and you're poking through insulation kind of thing. And then you use the same system, you set it up and now you've got a a Denver drill prop, right? Where you have to do some kind of a rescue through that window. So things like that, that save space, because uh, a lot of these firefighters, the department, my department, our training budget is not very big, right? So when we do spend money, it has to be very thought out. Our fire station, our, our lot and many lots are not very large, right? So how do you get 
materials and equipment that you need that you can use daily. Sure. Every fire department has a training grounds that they can go to, whether it be a local one within the town or it's a regional one or something like they can take a day and they can go and they can train. But how do you get these skills every day? How do you go to work and how do you better your craft every day? So the training technology in the future needs to be something that they can use regularly so that they don't forget the skills that people can use and they, they work hard at. I'm not saying that this is needs to be easy, right? Like we do this job because it is hard, right? We do this job because we enjoy what we do, but the training props have to mimic realistically what it is that we're doing in the field. That needs to be something that we can do regularly. It needs to be something that we can struggle with, but we will have success at. It's nothing that we can, that we're constantly setting ourselves up for failure, Right. So that's what I think it, it needs to be at. And whether or not it is something that is physical, right, like a door prop that is now more realistic, or whether it goes into simulations and virtual reality, something that they can have on site that is easily stored, that doesn't have a large footprint, that doesn't require a bunch of, you know, random pieces and parts or consumables and things that are of multi-use. Well said, Travis. And I what I liked what you're talking about, too, just like, Across the fire service, whether you're in Detroit and maybe you're going to, or New York and you're going to fires every day, or if you're in rural Wyoming or North Carolina, just the, the types of threats that you're facing are different. And because of that, that's going to mean that it's not apples to apples across the fire service. I mean, there's a lot of similarities, but there are different threats. So you kind of have to have a very contextual grassroots focus on what is your community's threats and then how can you kind of reverse engineer what might be the best solution to apply the limited resources you have to make the largest amount of impact? So expand on that a little bit about like how – actually, yesterday we did a roundtable on community risk reduction with Karen and Chelsea from NFPA. We talked about Craig 1300 and this program to sort of understand the local need and then build a plan and get data. And that's kind of a expanded conversation about that. But it is important just to really understand the local needs and what are the buildings and the, the biggest threats. You know, there's a manufacturing that could create a threat and what technologies or programs might be best suited to support that. How have you approached that being the fire service with that hat on or, or even from the, the school lens as well? Well, we have to mimic our behaviors at a fire scene, right? Or at a vehicle fire or at a whatever we're going to, right? So. When we use this virtual reality system at my school, for instance, it's we put it on, we go through the scenarios. It's more of a talk, right? We're talking about it when we're done, right? We're putting them through there and we're discussing it when we're done. That's huge, right? Like that's a huge component of it. But the other component is training your body, right? Getting your, how, if we're going to a high rise, my district, for instance, you're talking about community risk reduction. My district, we don't have any high rises, right? The biggest building in our, in our district is like six stories tall. So I don't have to worry about climbing 30 sets of stairs, right? But for those people that have high rises, how do you train for your high rise operation? How do you do that? Well, a way to do that in my mind, and this is some things that I've also done for other training things is you got to get your heart rate up, right? Because when your heart rate gets up, now your body throws in a whole different set of thoughts, right? A whole different set of you know priorities when you start to get your heart rate up, when you start to get hot. Right. So I may before we you know, pull lines, right, we're going to a structure fire scenario and we're actually going to do this, that 
when we get off the truck, like you run and you get all your gear on or before that, like you go and you do 15 jumping jacks, right? Or you do 20 push-ups or something before you try to get in your gear. Because when you look at that CAD screen and it shows structure fire and your district, right? Your heart's going to start pounding, right? Everything's going to start kicking in. You're going to start getting excited. And that's for us to be successful on the back end. We got to train in that way. I think, I think that you got to start getting your body physiologically. So in a situation that you can train so that you're doing it the whole way, right? When we do a live burn, everybody's like, okay, it's a live burn. Next crew, you're up, right? So you all get behind the the nozzle and it's like, we're going to go in. We're going to find it. We're going to squirt it for a minute or two and we're coming back out. And you may never break a sweat. (laughs) So some of that is, yeah, understanding your district, understanding what your capabilities are, understanding what calls you're going to, and then trying to mimic the same thing in the same type of scenarios. And that's how you're successful, right? Yeah, well said. As I mentioned earlier, it's February 2nd, 2023. And there's, it's already, it seems like there's always different trends happening right now from that the car, the Tesla self-combusting and, and you know, whether it's different structure collapses that you see various around the world. What's something right now that is kind of like it, that excites you in the fire service? And then also on the flip side, what's something that kind of gives you pause and maybe kind of something that concerns you? And I'm kind of throwing that in open volleyball set here of you can kind of take it anywhere, but kind of a yin and yang of something that, that you're excited about and then something that kind of keeps you up at night in regards to the overall fire service right now? Well, I think my answer is going to be generally the same thing, right? People, right? Moreover, new people into the fire service. In my area, every fire department in my area is down people and considerable amounts of people. I mean, we're talking 10% of their workforce they don't have. That's concerning, right? That's super concerning that that departments or towns or cities or whatever aren't putting a focus. I mean, certainly the departments want to be fully staffed, but the culture of the fire service is we will do what it takes with what we have. We are problem solvers, right? We are people that think about ways to get things done. We go out, we do it with whatever we've got, right? Kind of like MacGyver, right? Give me a, a chew, piece of gum and a, and a paper clip and you're stopping a nuclear meltdown or something. But that's what we do. And that's what we're good at. And that's why when people call 911, that's what we do, right? We go and we solve whatever problem they have and we have to be good, right? There's a guy that I talked to and he's like, listen, you can't call 912 if you're not good, right? They can't call 912 if, you're, if you don't show up and you don't know what you're doing. So we've got to be good at that and try to get more people in. But that's also the exciting part for me, right, is how do we change a culture where one, and I'm guilty of it, right? My mom was guilty of this is you got to go to college, right? You got to go to college. And I was like, but my brother, he went to college. He's not using one bit of it. He's uh, He went to college to be a police officer, and now he's a diesel mechanic, right? He runs the diesel shop. So he's a manager. So maybe, you know, those classes helped him out with some of that higher level thinking of managing or something. But besides, I mean, it's two completely different fields. But trying to, and, and the conversations I have with parents are, wow, they got to get a four-year degree. Yeah, they got to get a four-year degree. I'm like, but, but they're not getting a job, right? Like when they, this opportunity that I give students and other people like me give students are, you have a career when you get right out of high school, right? Like you're going to a place where you start getting a retirement, you start getting benefits, you start accumulating time in a place where 
you can retire in 30 years. Like, that's pretty cool. And that's something I'm excited about is trying to reach the next generation of firefighters, giving them a good base for coming in, giving them a positive environment, although some of those traditions are there, you know, like uh, you got to work your way up. You got to earn the ability to do things. You've got to like just trust in the fire service is super important, right? Like our lives literally depend on each other. So you got to build some of those things up and give them an environment where, where people can be productive, where people can branch out into the different fingers, if you will, of the, of the fire service, you know, being a fire marshal, investigating, inspection, like whatever, like all those different things. Like suppression doesn't need to be the, the one piece that people focus on. But yeah, so I think that to sum it up, the greatest thing that I'm fearful of is a lack of people entering the fire service and people then needing to call 911 and not getting a, a, a reasonable time. We see the same thing in an EMS system. Right. Like uh, they don't people don't want to be medics. People don't want to be EMT basics. So you call 911 and you need medical assistance and that ambulance is 20, 30 minutes away. But it's exciting to try to get more people in because this is a great profession. It is the greatest profession. This is the best job, the best career that I've ever had. And, And I hope to be able to, you know, kind of excite more people to see it the same way that I do. Travis, well said all across the board. And actually, you did one comment you said got me thinking about the people component in regards to the proper kind of staffing for the future fire service needs, where based on some of the future demands for, let's say, being more data driven, just stick with that of are we hiring or do we have the right people? And does, does a firefighter necessarily mean that to go in the fire service, you're fighting fires with your hands? Like, do you see that maybe an evolution where there's other types of roles where maybe there is a little bit more of a just kind of dis- distributed accountability of different roles where there could be just 100% data science fire- firefighter that isn't necessarily going to the buildings or responding to calls directly? Do you think we are properly thinking about how we are attempting to fill and staff for what the future fire service needs purely from, let's just say, from a, a data lens? I think that this gets complicated. <laughs> like a lot of things that we've talked about already, this gets equally as complicated, if not more, right? The personnel aspect and then inserting some human resource components into it. I think that there's a big, you know, drive within within just emergency services in general to try to get diversity in the fire service. And the rationale for this is, is that they want people of uh, that are ser- people that they want firefighters to be representative of the communities that they're serving, they're protecting. Well, this becomes complicated because in any facet of emergency services, because there are some demographics that believe that they're not included or, or this isn't an option for them to be involved in fire and emergency services. So that's where programs like mine come in. Right. Like there are a lot of things that a lot of different people from all the different backgrounds can can bring into the table. Just think of the volunteer fire service, for instance, and then you can branch out to the career side of things that every firefighter has another job. Right. Like volunteer firefighters go to work nine to five every day and they have a, a skill. They have a trade. They have something that they do. Career firefighters on their days off, most of them have another job. Right. So 
you're getting a group of people that now with a variety of backgrounds to bring them to the same place to complete a task, right? To work together to complete goals. My program, we are very much trying to involve, include, get more representation from all kinds of people. The more that you do that, the more inclusive you are, the more opportunities that you give. You try to break down some of these barriers, and then you give more opportunities to people that didn't think they already had it. And there's some darn good firefighters that came out of my program that wouldn't have been able to do that, wouldn't have thought it was an option if my program didn't exist. So- I think that that's I think that's super important for to start young to try to break down some of those borders and to try to you know include more people. The broader of a net that we can cast on just the population as general, then the more people we get. So then we solve our problem with not having enough recruitment, not having enough members of departments, and those kind of things. And we don't know what their backgrounds are, right? Like I worked with people that are accountants, right? That are bankers, that are plumbers, that are electricians. Right. So you have people from all walks of life and they bring a different usefulness to a fire. Like if I don't know that much about electricity, I have a a couple of electricians that work at my fire station. If I'm working with them, I'm like, listen, even though I'm the officer and I'm supposed to make these decisions, I don't know anything about electric. What do I need to do? Right. You go and figure out what I need to do and I'll tell people on the radio what you're doing. So it's all trying to figure out walks of life what people are good at, understanding. This is another big problem in a fire service is understanding your own limitations and being willing to express those in a way that other people will accept them and understand your strengths. And that when you say that you're weak at something, they're not going to criticize you for it. They're going to step in. Somebody else is going to step in to fill that piece so that you can be a successful crew. It's okay to be vulnerable and say, I don't know. Yeah. And to mean it, right? And then to try to fix it. That's the big part is that if you say, I don't know, or if you say, I can't, how do we fix it? Like, that's not a one stop. You can't end there, right? Like, if I can't throw a ladder, I got to go out and practice throwing ladders, right? Like, that's something I got to do. But, and it wouldn't hurt if I don't know anything about electric to try to learn something about electricity. Yeah. Well said, Travis. And I appreciate your insights, your vision, your passion for the fire service. And just on behalf of, Smart firefighting community, smart first responder community, Darley, and, and all the just the fire service in general. Thank you for all that you're doing, and I look forward to continue to follow everything that you're doing with your school program, with your role in the fire service, and and crossing paths here again shortly at FDIC and and anywhere else we may cross paths. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for doing this, and hopefully we can make the fire service better. That's what it's all about. Thanks, Travis. You got it. Thank you so much for listening to the Smart Firefighting Podcast today. If you enjoyed what you heard and got any value, please drop us a rating, leave us a comment, or reach out to us on social media. Have a great day, and together we can advance the future of smart firefighting.